Our sermon text this morning as we continue through the book of Romans is Romans 13, verses 1 through 7. You can find that printed in your worship folder, or if you want, you can certainly turn to it in your own Bible. Romans 13. Let's give careful attention to God's word. The Apostle Paul writes as he continues to explain to us how the gospel impacts our lives. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. And because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is is owed. This is God's holy word. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word once again. We ask now that Christ would minister to our hearts through the Spirit as he attends to its proclamation, that we would have ears that are tuned to hear, eyes that will see the wonderful truth of your word. And so seeing, we would believe that in Christ we are made your people. So strengthen our faith now, those of us who know you. And for those who know you not, may your word create within them that longing and desire to be united to Jesus Christ through faith alone. We pray this in his holy name. Amen. Now back at the beginning of Romans 12, the Apostle Paul began to inform us how the gospel changes everything, how we think, how we live, how we relate to one another and to the world. It it transforms our relationships and our understanding of one another within the church and our understanding of the world outside. And, And through Christ, our mind is renewed from the corruption of sin so that we might delight in that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And now as we come into Romans 13, we find that following Jesus as his disciple also changes our relationship towards those civil authorities that exist in this world. In other words, the way we relate to human government is influenced and affected by our faith in Jesus Christ. 
Now, the relationship of the church and the state, of course, is one that has been considered and debated and, and wrestled with for centuries upon centuries by Christians. And how are we to view these human authorities that exist? Is there a time and place to oppose civil magistrates? What kind of influence must the church have upon the governments of the world? And what ought our own participation be in the affairs of the civil state? Romans 13 is one of the few texts in the entire Bible that addresses that relationship between the church, between God's people and the state, between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdoms of this world. And as such, we ought to give careful attention to it. And what we see is that the big overarching truth that God gives us here through his servant Paul the Apostle is simply this. God has ordained civil authorities for the good order of his creation. Therefore, as God's people, the church ought to promote that good for the glory of God and the growth of his kingdom. Or let's put it in a very simple, more personal term. Because God has made you, if you are a Christian, if you are a believer, because God has made you in Christ a citizen of his kingdom, you are to be the best citizen you can be of the earthly kingdom where you live. Now, before we jump into that text, there's a couple of caveats that I want us to consider, and I'll mention them again because they're important. They help us to understand what Paul is communicating here. Number one, what Paul says here are general truths in ordinary, normal situations as God has designed the world. They are general truths regarding civil magistrates in our relationship to them. So that means he doesn't speak in favor of any particular type of government. He just speaks about governmental or civil authority in general. He speaks of its origin and its purpose as ordained by God. What he says can apply to empires and monarchies and republics and modern civil structures of human government. Nor is Paul, and this is the second thing, nor is he addressing every possible scenario when it comes to the state. He's not thinking about things like revolutions or coups and how we are to relate to them here. He's not giving us a fully outlined treatise of the church's relationship to civil magistrates. Again, it is general truths grounded in God's unchanging will for mankind. And the first one is this. Civil government is determined by God. Civil government is determined by God. So he says in verse 1, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So we see again another imperative that flows from the truth of the gospel, from the fact that we have been redeemed, as a means of glorifying God and loving our neighbors, that imperative is to be subject and submit to those governing authorities that are in place. This is the expected posture of not just believers, but every person, as he says, every soul, every person that exists is to be subject to those authorities. 
Now that said, I think we would all agree that this idea of submission or subjection and even the idea of authority really isn't a popular idea. It grinds against our own hearts, especially in Western culture where we've been educated in the ideals of individuality. Now, of course, people will say they agree with the idea of some submission or subjection to governmental authorities, especially if those in power happen to be the particular party or the particular system of government that they like. But as soon as those things change, the very notion of subjection is thrown out the window. And it doesn't matter if it is the r a person leans right or left. That idea of subjection is uncomfortable when they don't like the authorities in place. But Paul's exhortation here to be subject to governing authorities is not concerned with how we feel about whoever happens to hold office or whatever system of government is in place. It is a general directive simply to submit, and that's because human government authority is rooted in God's absolute sovereignty over all things. So notice again what Paul says. The imperative is this. Let every person be subject to governing authorities. Why? And he says why? Because there is no authority that exists from God and those that, ha that exist have been instituted by God. He repeats himself for emphasis. The point is, God determined or God ordained the governing authorities, whoever they may be, to be in place where they are to reign over kingdoms and nations of men. You see, the idea of authority itself is rooted in God's creative order as he made this world. That's what's being communicated with that word Paul uses, instituted. In verse 1, it's to set, to, to arrange, or to assign in a, a certain order so as to accomplish a certain function, a certain purpose. And we see that going all the way back into the very creation of this world where God gives man dominion over the world. And dominion by nature involves authority and rule. God appoints rule in all of his institutions, not just the government, but also in the family and in the church. And so there are those that he determines or he appoints to be in positions of authority for the well-ordering of his creation so that we might enjoy it and enjoy our lives before him. Also, we must understand that God's sovereignty is comprehensive and it is complete. There is no part of the world, no elected leader from the most basic, lowest local level to the highest echelons of government, from the director of the Parks and Recreations Department to the President of the United States, from a king or a dictator, all of them are under God's authority. Nobody holds power apart from God's sovereign directive that they do so. That is the only reason they are there. He sets them up and he tears them down. 
in Daniel 2, the prophet Daniel proclaims to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, who is arguably the most powerful ruler of that day. And he said, God changes times and he changes seasons. And oh, by the way, Nebuchadnezzar, he removes kings and he sets up kings. But not only does God determine who will rule, he determines how they will rule, what laws they will make, what policies they will enact. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wheresoever he will. Just as one might dam up a river and so change the course of that river so the Lord can change the direction of the king or the president or a senator, whoever happens to hold power, change their heart to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in the world. Ultimately, for the growth of his kingdom till Christ the King returns. And that means that every last decision handed down from governing powers, be it to dig up a road for what seems to be no apparent reason while others are left to fall apart, to decisions handed down by the Supreme Court of the United States, good rulings and bad rulings, righteous laws and evil laws, all of the governments, all that they do and decide and enact, all of that is under God's sovereign determination designed ultimately to accomplish his great purpose, to have a people for his name over which Christ will reign forever. Now one might ask, well, what about the evil rulers and the wicked decisions they make? That's a fair question. I mean, how could God possibly be, be determining to use them and appointing them and ordaining them for his purposes. Well, we cannot, nor should we ever presume to know the secret will of God. But we can know a lot about God's will from the Bible. We do know from the Bible that he uses evil to accomplish good purposes. You want a great example of that? Look to Christ. Jesus was condemned by the highest court of the Jewish people, the Sanhedrin. He was handed over to Pilate, the Roman governor of the area, who condemned him to a cross. Evil, wicked decisions. And yet through them came the sacrifice of Christ, who died in our place so that we might be forgiven of all our sins. God uses evil governments for good purposes. Also, we see in the Bible that evil governments and wicked rulers are used by God as a form of his judgment upon a people who continue to sin and rebel against him. In other words, you get what you asked for. Rebel against God and you will get a king or a ruler who will rebel against him and oppress you. As Calvin put it, a wicked king is the Lord's wrath upon the earth. You see that in Isaiah 3. God declares to Judah that as a result of Judah's idolatry of worshiping false gods and following after the desires of their own hearts rather than worshiping the Lord, he will make and this is the words of Isaiah 3, he will make boys their princes and infants to rule over them. It's just a poetic way of saying, I'm going to give you totally inept, immature, unable governors, kings, princes to rule over you, and it will be a disaster. That was God's judgment for their idolatry. When people suffer under the hand of evil rulers, what does it do? 
it drives them to look to the one ruler who is always righteous, who always reigns with wisdom and truth and true justice. And so wicked governments can be used by God to bring judgment, so to bring about repentance and faith as people run to him. So God created then this very structure of authority, and he determines who will reign, and he determines how they will reign. And the point again is that God has ordained the civil magistrates, the governing authorities that be. And Paul then draws an implication that he wants us to understand regarding that truth in verse 2. He says, whoever then resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Now the reasoning is easy to follow since civil Governing authorities are appointed by God, then to resist them is to resist what God has determined. In other words, it's to resist God's rule. And to resist God's rule results in God's judgment. As we see from the very fall, humanity is prone towards rebellion against God. And the heart of humanity is the, the stain of our depravity upon the world. And that rebellion often manifests itself in resistance to God's established authorities, be it within the civil government, the family, or the church. Now, once again, here's where we have to remember that Paul is speaking in general truths. Because he certainly is not going to contradict what we see in other parts of the Bible, whereby it is actually right and needful to disobey governing authorities when they behave wickedly. When Peter and the other apostles were called before the Sanhedrin, that again, the high court of the Jewish people, and they were told, do not proclaim the gospel or else you'll be thrown into prison. Peter responded with courage and boldness, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and said to the Sanhedrin and to the high priest, we must obey God rather than man. It's Acts 5.29. You see, whenever civil authorities violate the law of God as contained in his word, it is right and it is needful to disobey that civil magistrate for the glory of God. Because they're assuming an authority that is not theirs, that belongs to God alone. But in general, Paul is saying, under normal and ordinary circumstances, submission to the civil magistrate is expected by God of all people because he has determined their existence to serve his sovereign purposes. And as the church then, we are blessed with the privilege to show to the world that we trust a God who is bigger than the government by seeking peace through submission as much as we are able. And we know that all magistrates, both the good and the bad, are determined by God, appointed by his hand. And so we do not seek unrest because our rest is not in their power, but in the wisdom and the power and the goodness of our sovereign God.
That's the first point about government. God has determined civil government. Secondly, though, civil government is designed by God for your good. So the origin of civil government, it's determined by the authority, the sovereignty of God, and the purpose of civil government is that it is for good. Verses 3 through 4. He says, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. And again, it's easy to see Paul's reasoning here. We're given somewhat of the the function of civil magistrates. Civil authorities are meant, they are designed to bring terror to those who would do evil and bring harm upon other people. And so thus promote good in society. The fear, of course, is the fear of punishment or, or wrongdoing. And so Paul asks, do you want to have no fear of those civil authorities? Well, it's pretty simple. Do good. Don't be bad. Obey the laws. Don't harm your neighbor. On the other hand, when you do what is good, you will receive approval, says Paul. It is honorable. It is, it is praiseworthy to seek peace with your neighbors through good order and the observance of the laws of the land. So when civil magistrates exist, the general purpose of them is to bring terror or fear to those who seek to do wrong to others. As such, that civil government is designed to be a deterrent to evil. It helps to, to restrain the wickedness that we do see in this world. And in that sense, then, the civil authorities are what we would call a common grace or a general providence of God. It is one way that God is preserving and upholding the order of his creation despite our sin, which has corrupted it. God keeps things from being worse than they could be by keeping evildoers at bay through the sword of the government. And that is why the presence of some order is better than no order at all. And the removal of that order, again, is a way that God judges people for their sin. We see an example again of that in the Bible the classic example of anarchy or the rule of the mob, which is never a good thing for a people or a nation, is found in the book of Judges. And what is that phrase you see there repeated again and again and again? After a judge would die, the people would do what? They would do what was right in their own eyes. And the book of Judges ends in Judges 21-25. In those days, there was no king... In Israel, there was no governing civil magistrate. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. No king, no one to rule over the people, no one to bring the fear of the sword or the fear of judgment for wrongdoing. Everyone did what they felt in their hearts they could do, what they thought would be right in their own mind, and the result was utter chaos. 
idolatry and murder and rampant sexual immorality and corruption and theft. It all had free reign. So the government then exists, the king exists to bring rule to that chaos as a means of stemming some of the evil that exists in this world. But we would be amiss if we did not observe a very important limitation that is implied in the Apostle Paul's words. You see, he doesn't just give government full authority. He says that the civil authority is God's servant. They cannot do whatever they want to do. They cannot do anything but their purpose, or they ought not to do anything but what is their purpose. They are to execute the purpose of God, that God has designed for them, and nothing more. Civil governments do not have unbridled, unrestricted power. Their power is limited to one thing, the public good, as God defines good. They are to promote peace by restraining evil deeds. And they cannot, they can never change evil hearts. Civil governments, even the best governments, cannot bring salvation. Spiritual authority rests in the church. We see that in Matthew 16 as Jesus explains that he is building his church and that the church with the authority of Christ has been given the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What are the church's keys? They are the preaching of the gospel, the administration of the sacraments, and well-ordered discipline. And those, through those keys, they either bind a person in their sin who refuses to come in faith alone to Christ, or they loose them declaring that they are forgiven because Jesus forgives those who look to him alone and not to their own works of righteousness. No government has that kind of authority. Rather, the civil government only has authority over civil matters. And as soon as magistrates overstep that authority, they fail to be the servants that they were designed to be. And when civil authorities fail in that way, instead of promoting good, what do they do? They promote evil. And then the church has all authority to call them to repentance because of their evil deeds. Our confession of faith puts it this way. It says that synods and councils, that's the church, are to handle or conclude nothing but that which is ecclesiastical, that is spiritual matters related to the church related to salvation, related to faith, and they are not to intermeddle with civil affairs which concern the commonwealth unless, and this is important, unless by way of humble petition in cases extraordinary, that is when the government, when the civil magistrate fails to be the servant God made them to be, or by way of advice for satisfaction of conscience, if they thereunto required by the civil magistrate. Let me give you an example where that has actually just occurred. We are all very well aware of the destruction being done to children across our land with the increase in the so-called trans-affirming care. 
It is abusive and destructive. It is evil. It is not from God. In response to this, the 50th General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in America, our church, voted to form a commission to draft language for a letter which will be sent to all governments in our land, both the federal, so right to the White House, and to every state house, every governor as well, that they need to legislate against this practice for the safety and protection of our children and the well-ordering of society in our nation. Because it's a case extraordinary. It's a case where great evil is being done and being allowed to be done through governing authority. And so with the church, with the authority of God's word, says to the government then, no, please do not do this. Repent and protect our children for the sake of God's righteousness in this land. You see, we do that because we don't want to see evil persist. And so we, the church, with the authority of King Jesus, ought to call for repentance because God's design for the civil magistrate is to promote good, not evil. That is its purpose. Civil government then is determined by God. It is designed by God for good. And based on these two principles, very quickly in closing, we see the church's duty towards the civil government in verses 5 through 7. Therefore, we must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. There's three duties that are summarized or outlined there for Christians to practice in relation to the civil magistrates, since we know they are determined by God, by his sovereign will, and they are designed for good. And the first, we've already seen Paul state that, it is this, subject yourselves to the authorities God has ordained. Don't be rebellious. Don't be a riotous troublemaker, but follow the laws of the land so as long as those laws do not violate God's law. Paul adds another phrase here. He says, be subject not only for God's wrath, to avoid God's wrath, meaning, of course, the judgment that comes when you break the laws of the land, but for conscience's sake. What does he mean there? He means the moral sense of our uh, souls, of our Cells bound to God's holy word. We know what God's word teaches, that God does sovereignly determine civil government, that he has appointed them and designed them for the good ordering of society. And so based on that conviction of conscience bound to the very word of God, we must be in subject to the powers God has put in place. So subject yourselves to them. Second duty, he says, support the civil authorities that God has ordained. He says, based on God's sovereign determination and design, we ought then to pay taxes. Now admit it, when you read that and hear it, you think, just like I do, you just groan inwardly. I mean, the very word taxes is painful to hear. Nobody likes paying them. But notice, you're not told to enjoy paying your taxes. 
We're simply told that we are to pay them. Why? And he says, because authorities are ministers of God. That is to say, they are to administrate according to the purpose to which they are designed and called, the suppression of evil and the good ordering of society. And they need resources to be able to do that. And so with Jesus teaching in mind to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, Paul says, pay the taxes that you owe. Pay the revenues or custom fees that you owe. Renew your car license plate every year, even though it isn't fun. And thus support the civil magistrate to maintain good order and decency. So third, he says, subject yourselves, support the civil authorities. Third, show respect. Respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. And that, of course, again, does not mean you have to agree with those authorities who hold power. It doesn't mean you have to even like them. It also doesn't mean that we cannot criticize them because we can, especially when they do evil, as we've already seen, the church has the authority to call them to repentance. But respect and honor mean that we respect the office of authority of the civil magistrate itself. We honor the truth that God does have a design for this world so that it would be well-ordered in such a way that there is authority to bring that about. So submission, support, show respect. That's the posture, the simple posture that we as the church are to have towards civil authorities. And we do that because we know that God has ordained magisterial authority for the good order of his creation and therefore his people should submit to those governmental authorities for the glory of God's decency and order. But what about when tyrants rule? What about when those who are in authority are oppressive and abusive? Are believers simply to roll over in absolute submission to evil, as we've already seen, no. Because as the purpose of the, the magistrate is to promote good and to suppress evil. And when they don't do that, we are to obey God, not men. And so what do you do when tyrants reign? You follow first and foremost your heavenly king, not your earthly king. Now we may suffer wrong at the hand of wicked civil powers as God's people, it has often been the case throughout the history of the church that God's people have suffered such under the hand of evil rulers. But it will not always be so. Because while God has appointed civil authorities, thanks be to God, they are not the final authority. Jesus is. In Psalm 2, David poetically describes the nations of the earth raging against God and his anointed, who is Christ. He says, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. And what is God's reply? If you know Psalm 2, he who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Who are you? I have already established the king, and it is Christ Jesus. And so the father says to the son, 
You are my son. You are the one I have begotten. You reign over the earth. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. That's the authority of Christ the king. And so then what does the psalmist say? He says, kiss the son. Embrace the grace of the gospel because blessed are those who take refuge in him. And so when your civil authority, when the kings of this earth take counsel against the Lord, look to your high king, Jesus Christ, because while they have authority, Jesus has all authority. As he said in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And it is through that authority that he commissions us as his church to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel and to administer the sacraments so the kingdom of God would grow. And Jesus reigns always for our good. While the earthly kingdoms fail to fulfill their duty to bring about peace, promote good, and end all evil, Jesus never fails. He brings goodness and peace to the world. And one day he will finish that task where he has placed all his enemies under his feet. Revelation eleven fifteen: the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. And that means then our duty, our highest duty, is towards King Jesus to honor him above all earthly powers. And so let us do that then by following his word, by honoring God's decency in order through submission to the civil magistrates that God has sovereignly determined to rule over us and designed for our good. And let your ultimate allegiance then be to Christ and let it inform your allegiances to these earthly powers so that who you support and who you vote for and who you follow is ultimately in submission to the gospel of Christ. You see, when the powers of this earth will raise their fists in defiance against Jesus and his kingdom, and so seek to corrupt God's good order, follow your king, follow your high king, Jesus Christ, who will set all things right in his time. For he will bring, and he is bringing, all nations and kingdoms in subjection to his reign because God will have decency and order as he purposed in this world and there will be peace forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do praise you that we have a king that raises up above all these earthly powers who so often fail us and disappoint us and often do evil instead of what is good. So, Father, empower us through your spirit to take to heart these truths that you are sovereign and in control, that you have a good purpose, and that you are continuing to work in this world. So use us as your church to be that mouthpiece that speaks forth your righteousness, especially for the sake of those who are defenseless and hurting and abused by the evil, especially the evil we see in the hands of civil magistrates. 
and may your peace reign through the proclamation of the gospel till Christ comes and all that is wrong is made right again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.